Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. In week three of our James Faith in Action series, Pastor Brittany Park unpacks James 1, verses 13 through 15 on that unavoidable fork in the road called temptation. So we are on the third week of our new series in the book of James. Um, And so just a little bit of recap. Uh, The book of James is not just um, a random uh, chapter in that large book of the Bible. Uh, It's actually a letter written by James, uh, who is Jesus' brother. It's written to a specific community of people. And as we talked about the last couple of weeks, uh, in that community, what we know is that there's some sort of trials and hardships going on. Um, And the first 12 verses, James is telling them that whatever hardship they face, whatever struggle they face, um, that as they continue walking out in faith and being obedient, staying the course no matter what comes their way, their faith will grow. Uh, They'll grow in endurance. They'll be able to withstand the trial and the temptation. And as they do that, their faith will grow. They'll become stronger and able to endure more. The next challenge that comes, we're growing, we're building faith. We're able to to grow in endurance and stay the course when hard times come. Um, And as they do that, um, they do it in a way that doesn't abandon their faith, right? So we talked last week about when we face hard times, oftentimes we have a tendency to to wonder where God is in the midst of it. And so we take matters into our own hands. Maybe we pray like in the morning and then by the afternoon we don't have the answer. And so we just decide, okay, God's not answering me. I'm just going to do it my way. Even though we know our way is probably the shadier way. Our way is maybe cutting some corners or being dishonest. Um, And so James spends the first 12 verses talking about when you endure trials and hardships, stay the course. Even when you're tempted to go your own way, stay the course. And as you do that, your faith will grow and God will honor and bless you. The passage from last week ended with verse 12. And he says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And so when we're enduring something that tests our faith, the response is to keep our faith, both in our hearts by choosing to believe and with our actions by choosing to go about it God's way and not our own. Belief and obedience. And so we pray, we walk our faith out, we do the next right thing, and we trust God with the results, right? If you weren't here last week, it took me 49 minutes to say that. So you can go back and listen if you like punishment. When we respond this way, when we choose to trust God in hard times, That trusting changes us, right? Ultimately, when we're standing at a fork in the road and we have a hard situation in front of us, we have two choices, is what James is saying. We can choose to go it God's way. We can choose to believe that if I do it God's way, he has something for me. He will be faithful to do what he says he'll do. He will be who he says he is. Or I can get scared. I can get selfish. I can desire to do it my own way, and then I choose this way, right? So this morning we're going to talk about that fork in the road that all of us face when trials or hardships or struggles, when we're tempted to go our own way and reject God's way. We stand at a fork in the road. How many of you guys have had a real time in your life, whether on foot or on a bike or in a car or on a moped, when you're actually at a fork in a road and you don't quite know which way to go? Most of us. Most of us, it's like, it's like a metaphor, right? Uh, I wish it had been a metaphor for me in 2009. Uh, I was living in South Africa at the time, and my parents uh, came out to visit me, and we decided to take a little road trip. 
Now, kids, I know that you think that maps are an app on your phone, but there are these things called maps that the app got the idea from, and it's a paper thing that used to fold up and put in your glove box. We went on a road trip in Africa using only a map. It didn't go very well. So we find ourselves, we're going on a road and we're trying to get to a hotel and it's starting to get darker and we're realizing like the, we're, we're trying to follow the map, but it's not like GPS where it tells you if you made a wrong turn and there's, the signs aren't very clear in Africa. And so we're driving and driving and driving and we're noticing the fuel is getting lower and lower and lower and the sun is getting lower and lower and lower and it's getting dark and we're running out of gas and we're on a random road in the middle of Africa with no GPS and just a paper map. And a stepdad who thinks that he is always right, and a mom who's always anxious, and me in the back saying, I'm the only one who knows how to drive on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of the car, why am I in the back seat? <laughs> Highly stressful situation, and we come to a fork in the road. And when we're looking at the map, we can see if we stay on this paved highway, we know that we're heading in the direction of the town we're trying to get to. But we've been going for a long time, and we're starting to second guess. And we see on the map this tiny, thin line. A thin line on a map is no good, right? <laughs> Typically, it's a dirt road. And so it was a dirt road. But the town off the dirt road looked a lot closer than the town off the highway. And so in our foolishness, we decide, you know what? Let's go down the dirt road. So we hang a left and we're going down this dirt road and it's like potholes and dirt and rocks and everything. Long story short and a million follies later, we find ourselves in what we thought was a significant town because it was on the map, but what was actually a tiny little town with no room in any motel. We felt like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. There's no room in the inn. And we end up literally meeting people that let us stay in their apartment above their garage, strangers. We got lucky that we found somewhere to sleep. We were out of gas, it was dark, and we chose what we thought was the shortcut route rather than staying on the main road. And I tell this story this morning because that's so often what we do in life, right? We're going down. We think we know we're going the right way. We think we know, God, I know that you said this. I know this is what you say to do. But man, it doesn't seem like it's getting me anywhere. And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a dirt road off to the left. And you think, ah, I got this. I shouldn't be worried that we're in Africa with a paper map and it's getting dark and we're running out of gas. This feels like a good idea. This is how a lot of us live our lives, right? Every trial we face, every hardship, we're tempted to go down a fork in the road and make a wrong turn. And that's the thing about a fork in the road. Even though, even if you're pretty sure that the road to the left is a good idea and you might get lost or stuck, if it's a shortcut, it suddenly has appeal, right? We might know it's a bad idea, but if it's a shortcut, it suddenly has appeal. It's that moment in temptation where the easier way, the shortcut, the one that looks like it might get you to be where you want to be or to feel how you want to feel or escaping what you want to escape. It's so tempting because we fail to look down the road and realize that it doesn't end at the Ritz-Carlton. It ends at Neil and Honey's upstairs apartment. <laughs> so this morning we're going to follow James as he moves from talking about trials into talking about temptations. We're going to trace his train of thought by jumping back into the chapter on verse 13 to 15. This is our passage for this morning. James goes on to say, No one undergoing a trial should say, 
I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone himself. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So let's remember that this this passage doesn't stand alone. This is a part of a letter to a specific group of people. There was some sort of false teaching going on in this community saying that when you're tempted, it's God's fault. And so James is going to clear up a bit of truth about temptation. That's the first blank in your notes if you're following along. The truth about temptation. All of us have experienced temptation, right? Raise your hand if you've never been tempted by anything. Don't do it because we'll all know you're a liar. Temptation is something that we know we shouldn't do, right? We know we shouldn't do it, and yet there's something that's sort of drawing us to it. Temptation to take matters into our own hands when God says wait and trust. Temptation to take a shortcut. Temptation to blatantly sin and go against what God says. Temptations to give our hearts and our worship to anything other than him. So the first thing that James clears up is that temptation does not come from God. Temptation does not come from God. If you are in a situation and you are feeling so tempted to sin, the temptation is not coming from God. He does not tempt us. James says, he does not tempt anyone. To tempt is to entice someone to sin. And hear me, your God will never entice you to sin. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to to lure you to sin and then expect you to say no. Our own desires are what entice us to sin. Being the source of tempting is different than allowing tempting to occur. Does that make sense? Being the source of tempting is different than allowing it to occur. If I have a child, I don't, but let's say I do for all of you parents. If I have a child and I take a piece of chocolate cake and I tell them, don't have chocolate cake, and I come up to Isaiah with a piece of chocolate cake and I'm like, doesn't it? Just smell it. Just smell. Just, just get a little bit close. Doesn't it smell good? Don't you want some? I'm a horrible parent. No, you can't have it, right? That's horrible. Who, what parent would do that to their kid? But does that mean I clear out all sweets from my house to get rid of all temptation so that my child isn't tempted? No. The child needs to learn that in life there's going to be things around them that might tempt them, and instead we train them and shepherd them to respond well to the temptation, right? And so God doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, tempt us himself, but he allows things in life to exist that tempt us. And then we have a choice of how we respond to it. Our desire is what tempts us to sin. And so if you're ever tempted to sin and you're tempted to say that God is tempting you, shut your mouth and be reminded that it's your own desire that's tempting you. And our desire to give in to temptation indicates something deeper going on in our hearts. Our desire to give in indicates a heart issue. Clearing up one other thing that we sometimes get twisted in our head is the, is the truth that temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is not sin. If you feel tempted by something and you resist, sometimes we feel guilty that we were even tempted. But we see from Scripture that Jesus himself was tempted, right? There was a temptation. There was, there was something that Jesus was trying to, to stand firm in, and there was an enemy who was trying to lure him away. 
The temptation existed. Temptation itself is not sin. In Hebrews 4.15, the writer says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So it's possible to be tempted and to not sin, because temptation itself isn't sin. Temptation is a byproduct of living in a fallen and broken world where our enemy prowls around like a roaring roaring lion seeking for us to devour. So if we are people who are trying to go at God's way, who believe that what he says is true and how he says to live is the way to life, we believe that there's an enemy who's roaring around looking for ways to get us to pull away from him, trying to lure us and entice us away from him. And so temptation is a natural byproduct of living here. We're tempted because things aren't right. If everything was perfect and we had everything that we needed, we wouldn't be tempted, right? If that same, if Isaiah was sitting at a buffet table full of desserts and I brought over that piece of chocolate cake, the temptation wouldn't be there. He'd be like, I have all of these different types of chocolate cake, right? Temptations exist because something is not right. Because something's not right in us. Something's not right in those around us. Something isn't right in the world around us. We're broken people and we're looking for something to fix us and fill us. And we're impatient people and so we're looking for something to do that quicker. Right? Sometimes the straight road ahead looks like it's going to take longer. And so we take that shady dirt path. And so we struggle to live as righteous people in an unrighteous world, and so there is temptation. But when we are tempted to sin, it's a heart issue. When we're tempted to sin, it's a heart issue. We have not yet sinned, but it's sort of like a check engine light that goes on in us. Why does that look appealing to me? Why does that look enticing? What is going on in my heart that suddenly I want to go that way that I know I shouldn't go? Being tempted to sin is not sin, but it is an opportunity to take notice that your desires are out of whack. It's like a check engine light. Uh, St. Augustine said, the essence of sin is disordered love. The essence of sin is disordered love. When we feel drawn towards sin, when we feel drawn to go it our own way, to turn left when we should go right... It's indicative that there is something disordered in our hearts. The essence of sin, it is disordered love. Think about when you want to be selfish. It's because your love for yourself trumps your love for others, right? When you want to steal something, it's because your love for yourself and having that thing trumps your love for other people and your love for God. Every sin we can trace back to there being some sort of disordered love in our heart where we stand at the top. When we feel tempted to sin, it's an indication that something has gotten disordered in our hearts. There's something that we're desiring to pursue and love more than God. This is the fork in the road that every human stands at. The existence of a fork in the road is not sin. As you're standing there knowing there's a left and there's a right, that is not sin. We have a choice to make in that moment. 
It's part of the human experience to have free will, that our God lets us stand at the fork in the road and says, which will you choose? And as people with free will, we get to decide which way we're going to go. What happens when the desire to sin wins is that we do sin, right? When all of a sudden I've decided that to the left, I'm just going to do it no matter what the consequences I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. I'm just going to fill myself with this thing or draw myself to this thing or look to this thing to fix whatever is broken inside of me. When we decide to put action to that desire, we enter into sin. And sin ultimately separates us from God. In verse 15, it says, After the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. There is a natural trajectory. And this is opposite from what we looked at last week. Last week we looked at when we trust God, we grow in our faith. It leads to obedience, which leads to maturity, which leads to the crown of life that he's promised to those who love him. Now we're seeing the other side. Our desire gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. We're at a fork in the road and we've got two choices. When we stand at that fork and we choose wrongly, we enter into sin. And sin because we've gone against God in every way. No matter what that temptation was, whether it's a temptation to tell a lie or a temptation to kill someone, the heart issue is the same. We've rejected God and we've gone our own way. This has always been our problem as humans. We look back in the Garden of Eden, and if we had time this morning, we'd jump into Genesis 3 and and look at the fall of man. This is how it all started. God gave them everything that they could ever want. And he said, this won't be good for you, so don't do it. And they didn't trust him. And they went their own way. And it led to sin, which led to separation from God. We reject God's way, we reject his wisdom, we reject his guidance, and we choose our own way. We choose, we choose to cheat instead of to be fair. We choose to lie instead of to be truthful. We choose to gossip instead of biting our tongue. We choose to get revenge instead of extending mercy. We choose our vices as comfort instead of our God. And the list goes on and on. All of us all of us sitting here know what our, what our fork in the road is right now, what it's been in the past. We can all remember a time when we were so tempted to go it our own way. What all of our sins have in common is that we choose our desire for ourselves over God and over each other. And that's what Jesus says the greatest commandment is, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All of our sins are rooted in a desire to put ourself first, to go our own way. The essence of sin is disordered love. There's something disordered in our heart. And so when we choose our desire over God and we walk away, we walk down that other path. We turn left down that shady dirt road, right? Because we think it will get us where we, want it, uh, where we want to go. We think it'll get us to feel the way that we want to feel or to not feel the way that we don't want to feel. Isaiah chapter 59 is this powerful image of of Israel's story. And the Old Testament is this story of of God calling a person and making it into a people and making it into a nation that would ultimately reflect his glory and his goodness to the rest of the world. 
And we see throughout the Old Testament, Israel just, just goes haywire. They have all these forks in the road where they get to choose. And sometimes we choose, see them choose really well. And sometimes we, choose the, we see them choose really poorly. And it's this up and down roller coaster that really mirrors our own walk with the Lord as we choose well and we choose poorly. And Isaiah chapter 59, it's this incredible chapter that's so tragic, but it starts off with verse 1 and 2, and it says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities, your sins, are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. There is something that happens when we choose our own, our own way, where we choose to sin, where we are actively turning our back to God and walking the other direction. That chapter goes on to talk about all the different ways they've gone their own way. If you want to read something really light and fluffy after church, go read Isaiah 59. But it talks about the ways that they've become people of darkness. And it says, we hope for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we live in the night. We grope along a wall like the blind. We grope like those without eyes. And all of this in verse 13 is because they've turned away from their God. This is what we do when we choose sin. We turn away and we find ourselves in darkness and all of a sudden we're in this big mess. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in life where you've made so many bad choices. All of a sudden you look at yourself in the mirror and you can't figure out how you got there. You're groping along like someone in darkness holding onto a wall. When we choose ourselves, when we choose to turn away what God has called us to, the wisdom that he offers of how we should live our lives because he knows, because he created us and he loves us and he knows what is best for us, when we choose to walk away from all that, we choose to separate ourselves from him. We choose it. And the longer we walk down that path, the more separated we get from him. Imagine that fork in the road. It starts off where if you start to walk down it, the road back isn't too far. But the further you go down it, the further separated we get, correct? The more away from him we get, the the darker it gets, the more running out of gas it gets, right? The more we become like people walking in darkness, living in the night, groping along the wall like those without eyes. And sin, as James says, when it's full grown, it leads to death. Ultimate separation from God. If we choose over and over and over again in this life on earth, not you. I choose not you. I choose not you. I choose me. I choose not you. Where do you think that ends? God will give you what you chose. You chose not me. You get not me. The more we choose our own way and not him, the further away we get from him. The further down that path we get, where ultimately if we keep choosing not him, he will give us not him. But what if you choose to go to the right? What if you choose the right way? There's victory. Second part of your, of your notes is the victory in temptation. We know what happens. We know what lies at the end of this dirt road. And it is much worse than Neil and Honey's apartment. It's separation. We get further and further away. But what if when we're standing at that fork in the road, we go right? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 to 14. 
the Apostle Paul is writing this, and he says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So often we stop at this verse, if you're familiar with this passage. But the next verse says, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Paul says, don't worry, God is faithful. If your faith is in your own ability to withstand temptation, you're going to fail. If you're just going to, I'm going to put myself in the face of temptation and I'm just going to be strong enough to withstand it, you're going to fail. None of us are above any sin. You hear of the most, the most godly, powerful, uh, or pa- walking powerfully with the Lord, these, these pastors and preachers, and they fall. It's not that it was never real. It's that we, we get to a place where we think I'm so above those sins. And we stop having our guard up. We start being foolish because we think we're above it and we're never above it. We are prone to wander. We are people that have been saved, but we still live with bits of our brokenness that linger from the fall and it clouds our judgment and we're prone to wander and prone to temptation. We need to be on guard. And so our faith needs to not be in ourselves. Our faith needs to be in God. If you think you can overcome temptation on your own, you can't. Your faith is in God's ability to deliver you. And there's good news that you're not alone and you're not powerless. There have been times in my life where I was stuck in a cycle of sin, and I just thought, like, I can't get out of this. I can't get out of this, and I can't tell anyone about it because I'm the only person that's this bad. You're not alone. James says there's no temptation that's not common to humanity. We are all tempted in the same ways. They might, they might practically work themselves out different, But it all comes back to the same heart issue of we've got some disordered love in here. That's the issue. And so we're not alone. There is nothing so bad that you struggle with that those of you sitting around that call themselves Remembrance Community Church, I can vouch for these people, that they would say, that's too bad. They would say, man, if you could see what's in here, right? You're not alone. We are all walking through this life together as fellow strugglers, people that are just trying to grasp our way towards the Lord by the power of his spirit. And you're not powerless. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about, or chapter 8, Paul talks about that we have the same spirit living with us that rose Jesus from the dead. I would imagine the hardest thing that you could ever do is take someone who is dead and make them live again. I feel like it doesn't get any harder than that. And that spirit that did that lives inside of us when we accept Jesus and we become sons and daughters of his. He puts his spirit in us. And if his spirit can raise someone from the dead, his spirit can empower us to endure temptation and withstand it. So you're not alone and you're not powerless. You are not a victim of your circumstances. You are a victor in Christ's power. And the third one, you are free to flee. Paul says, flee from idolatry. 
He doesn't just say, don't worry, God's going to get you out of that situation. So let's say, let's say you're struggling with, you're really trying to get away from like drinking and partying and, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore, but I'm going to go to this party where there's a lot of drinking and I'm just going to be real good. And then you go and you're like, man, this is so hard, but don't worry. God said he'll get me out of it. And then you sit there and you're still there in it. And you're like, God said he'd get me out of it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying flee from it. Here's how God's going to help you get out of it. He's going to open your eyes to see this is not good for me. I got to get out. And then you got to get out. You got to get up off your booty and get out. He doesn't say avoid it. Just avoid it. He says flee from it. Get out of Dodge. Run the other way. Look like a coward. Just get out of there. And so often we think too highly of ourselves and we think we're above it and we think we've overcome it. And so we put ourselves in the same exact situation we were already in where we failed before. We say, this time I think I got it. And Paul says, flee from idolatry. That thing that is, that is vying for that space in your heart that deserves to be God's, flee from it. Get out of town. But we think higher of ourselves than we ought to. Over and over again in Scripture, we see God telling his people that wisdom is getting away from it. It's not about how strong you are when you stay in it. It's about how quickly you get away from it. Most of us know all of this, right? I don't think I've said anything this morning where any of you is like, oh, I never knew that before. Most of us are like, yes, this has been my experience as living as a human being, right? We know that in every moment, every moment of temptation, the temptation is to go our own way, right? We know that. To step outside of God's will, we know that we have a choice. We can picture ourselves standing at that fork in the road, tempted to go the way we know we shouldn't go. Most of us know what's down that road. Even though we try to convince ourselves that the dirt road is leading to the Ritz-Carlton, we know it's not. We know what's at the end of the road, and yet we still stand there and we still go left. Why? Why do we do that? Most of us know better, right? Even if you're not somebody who, who's particularly religious and you don't know Jesus personally and you're just trying to figure all this weird stuff out, you usually know better, right? There's something in us that, that knows better, that knows that this is wrong, that this isn't the way, and yet we still choose it. Why? Paul, Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He's like, I want to do the right thing, but I always find myself doing the wrong thing. And every time I try to do the right thing, the wrong thing is just right there creeping up on me. And I don't know why I can't figure this out. And I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And I, I don't do the things that I do want to do. What is wrong with me? Right? He has this whole like, like real like mental moment where he's wrestling with himself. What's wrong is that this side of heaven, we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle, and the wrestle is good. The wrestle is part of the refining process where we weigh the options, and we choose him anyways. We don't just put blinders on and just, just go our way. We weigh the options, and we choose God's way because that's where, that's where choice happens. That's where love happens. That's where the, the, the desires in our heart get reordered, when we weigh the options and we choose him, not when there's just no other option. 
If we had no temptation, if we had no other option, that wouldn't be love. We would be forced to go his way. But he gives us choices. And when we choose him, we grow. We grow closer to him. We get further down that road leading to maturity, leading to the crown of life. But if we're often, if we're honest, most of our lives we don't look like two roads, right? There is a zigzag going like this. We're on the wrong road. We get on the, we're on the wrong road, on the right road. We're on the wrong, right? We're doing this. And part of the zigzag that we do is us trying to respond to this temptation. So the last part in your notes is the response to temptation. This side of heaven we wrestle because we are not yet what we will be. If you feel like you just can't get it right, you are surrounded by people who just can't get it right. If you feel like every time you try to go the right way, you go the wrong way, look to your left and look to your right and tell your neighbor amen. Because that's how we all do it, right? We're all trying to get right and we mess up and we stumble and we fall and we turn left and we should go right. And sometimes we turn back quicker and sometimes it takes us a long time. But we're all on these roads together, all trying to figure it out. And we also, we have an enemy who's actively working against us to tempt us. So it's not just that we're prone to wander, but we have an, ad, an adversary who's trying to get us to go his way and not God's way because he knows that this way leads to life and he wants to steal and kill and destroy and take us down the wrong way. And so we in our flesh wrestle, and then we've got this adversary who's working against us. It feels like the deck is stacked against us, but we have victory in Christ. There is always an opportunity to turn back to the right road. No matter how many times you've turned wrong, no matter how far down the road you've gone, there is always and forever, until judgment day, there is chance after chance after chance to turn around and go back. Always. And so as we stand at the fork in the road, there's some things that, that we want to do in response as we consider all of the ways that we are tempted to go our own way. Temptation targets obedience. Temptation will always target obedience. Where do our allegiances lie? Who will we submit to? Ourselves or the Lord? It will always target obedience. Going our way, going his way. Choosing what we, what we think will fill us versus what he says will fill us. What he says, who's, who, we, who we think we are, who he says we are. All of these things, it's all about obedience. Whether or not we're going to go on the path that he says or we're going to go and do it our own way. And obedience is a trust issue. Like we've been talking about. Anytime we're tempted to sin, what we're really saying is, did God really say? Where have we heard that before? In the Garden of Eden. There's literally nothing new has happened since the Garden of Eden. We're doing the same exact thing over and over again. Adam and Eve are sitting at the fork in the road. Should they eat the apple? Should they not eat the apple? And what does the adversary say to them? Did God really say? The way he tempted them in the beginning was to not trust God, to not trust who he is and to not trust that he had their best interest in mind. How he gets us today is to not trust God. Every temptation is an obedience issue, and obedience is a trust issue. And so I have, in each of these points, I have a question for you to consider as we go into a time of worship, 
and as you go throughout your week. The first one is, how does my desire to sin reveal a lack of trust in God? When I feel tempted, what does that reveal about the lack of trust I have in God? It's so easy to just decide, I'm just not going to do the wrong thing, or I'm just going to do the wrong thing. But take a moment and reflect, what is this reveal that's deeper in me? Because the desire is a check engine light, right? And the second one is resisting temptation requires readiness. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Resisting temptation requires readiness. There is a reason that sneak attacks work, right? There's a reason that sneak attacks work. You don't see, like, in the, in the course of human history with the greatest battles and wars, you don't see anybody delivering their plans to the enemy, right? You want to be secretive. You want to have a secretive plan. You want a sneak attack. There's a reason this works, because when we're ready, when the victim is ready, the enemy doesn't win. We are vulnerable when we're not ready, The enemy never wants you to be ready because when you're unsuspecting, you're vulnerable. And so the Bible talks about this, right? About being ready. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Paul's talking about how we as the people of God stand constantly ready. And he says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, because there's a battle waging and you need to be ready, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Does this sound like a passage encouraging us to just handle temptation as it comes? No, we need to be ready. We make right choices now so we're ready to make right choices later. We put God first now so that when it's hard to put him first, we've been doing it for a while. We put community around us now so that when we're faced with hard times, we have people already in place to support us and point us in truth, right? We need to be ready. We need to flee from temptation. We need to be building community, surrounding ourselves with people that will support us and point us to Jesus. We need to be people, men and women of the word. Go to the men's Bible study. Get to know God's word so that you're ready. When we see Jesus tempted in the wilderness, how does he respond? With the truth from God's word because he's ready for it. He He withstands temptation because he's ready for it. And so the question here is, where have I let my guard down? We're never above any sin. Where have I let my guard down? Where do I know that I'm weak, but I'm allowing myself to be open and vulnerable because I just don't want to choose God's way? And then the last one is repent, release, and rise up. Like we mentioned, if we're honest, our lives are a lot less staying on the right road and a lot more of hopping back and forth, right? 
And praise be to God that he cuts shortcut pathways from that wrong road back onto that right road. He just takes us right through that cornfield and gets us over there, right? Margaret Thatcher has a famous quote, and she says, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. And so if if you've been failing, if you've been trying and, and you keep falling, that's okay. You might have to fight the battle more than once to win it. This is a marathon, not a sprint. But where do we go when we fail? We repent. We've lost the art of repentance. The modern day church has lost, has lost the discipline of repentance. We just want to say, oh, I messed up, I'll do better next time. Because it, require, it doesn't require us facing God. There is power in repentance, in telling your God with words where you have fallen short and asking him to forgive you and to help you not do it again. And so we repent. We name our sin, we name our shortcomings, and we invite God into him. So where have you failed? And then we release. We let it go. If you feel like you've been falling down and you want to get back up and you just feel like you need to keep yourself down a little bit longer, let it go. There is grace and mercy and abundance at the cross. And he stands. He will not only call you back on the right path, he will meet you on the wrong one. And he will walk with you back. But we've got to leave it over there. We've got to let it go. And we've got to rise back up. Pastor Kenny always, always quotes Proverbs 24, 16. Because we are in a room full of fellow strugglers. A righteous man falls down many times. And he gets back up. You are not righteous because you don't fall down. You're righteous because you get back up. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.